BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Incomparable, number 640, November 2022. Welcome back to The Incomparable. I'm Lex Friedman sitting in for Jason Snell, who we finally gave a week off, but he shouldn't get used to it. Uh, today, we are talking about Weird, the Al Yankovic story, the brand new 2022 movie that premiered on the Roku channel in November. And I'm joined by what I would consider an all-star panel who I will introduce in the order they joined the very Zoom we're using to record. So we'll start with Brian Hamilton. Hi, Brian. Lex, we agreed it would be best if you didn't be who you are and stop doing the things you love. <laughs> We're also joined by Quinn Rose. Hi, Quinn. I famously also dated Madonna, so I'm thrilled to be here. Very impressive roster, actually. And then, uh, last but certainly not least, is Kelly Command. Hi, Kelly. (laughs) Uh, I have brought uh, the same hair and the same Hawaiian shirt, and uh, I have played an accordion. I did not take lessons like like my husband did. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I'm very excited, obviously, to talk about this movie, but I think it would be helpful if we could go around the room and talk about your introductions to slash fandoms of Al as they exist. So maybe, Brian, you can start. Like, how did you first get into Al? Like, was this a movie you were definitely going to watch or was it only because I asked you if you would be on this podcast episode? <laughs> <laughs> this was a movie I knew I would definitely watch because I have loved Al since, I guess, the late 90s when, oh God, what was it? The Saga Begins was my first introduction to Al. I thought, wow, someone wrote oh. a song about Star Wars. And my family had to sit me down and tell me about Don McLean. Uh, and then from there on in, I would, you know, watch all the videos and listen to all the singles. And I am definitely dating myself in terms of how young I am. Thanks, y'all. Uh, but when it comes to this movie, I was like, yay, great. I'm really excited to learn about the production process of White and Nerdy or any of these other things that he's going to be talking about. Nope. It goes from 1970 to 1985. And that is it. And I'm like, wow. That's incredible. I'm very glad that this movie stuck to the courage of its convictions because I know, you know, a lot of Weird Al fans like y'all are going to be watching this being, wow, there's that song. There's that song. I knew shockingly few of the actual songs that were in the movie. I had heard My Bologna. I had heard Rocky Road. But Mm -hmm. there was a few things. I was like, oh. Oh, yeah, there's that. And then Amish Paradise, of course, at the end. But no, I love Weird Al. I know much more of the modern stuff than the older stuff. But I was definitely still going to be watching this movie. (laughs) Quinn, what was your introduction to Al? Well, obviously, I have to start this with a shout out to my dad, um, who I don't know when my dad became a Weird Al fan, when he was born, maybe. Um, But I was first introduced, I think, with White and Nerdy. um, And that was like my first real exposure. And 
I was obsessed with that song as a child. Like my all, me and all my siblings became really into it because we were like, "Wow, representation!" Um, but <laughs> we, we, and I think, and it was, I think it was it was after that point that my dad was like, "It's my time." Um, and so he got all of us into Weird Al. Specifically, my brother is a huge, huge fan. I'm kind of here to represent my family more than anything else because I also <laughs> like Weird Al. Um, but my dad and my brother have gone to several of his concerts, including his recent absolutely hilarious tour that he's on um yes but uh i was from i'm familiar with i would say like the general catalog of weird owl to varying degrees i definitely know like the most popular stuff more but i also definitely knew like all of these sort of like early hits that were included in this movie i know sort of the basic lore of the man um he's just kind of part of my upbringing <laughs> i love that answer uh, <laughs> kelly are you gonna make me feel any less old um probably not oh god um, i'm ready hit me well i've i've listened to weird al forever um i found weird al like like most people through dr demento so uh that that first sequence there with the little curly headed kid in the striped shirt listening to the radio and hoping parents don't hear uh that was absolutely me because uh, first of all if my hair is short it does look like that and second um it was on late at night on a radio station where I grew up in the wilderness. And so um, I, you know, you could only hear like part of it. And uh, so I found Weird Al there. And then because I went trying to find out, you know, in the olden days before you could just pull everything up on the Internet, um, you couldn't like just go start listening like, oh, I listened to this and I now can open a an internet connected device and just listen to the rest of what that person did. Right. You can't, couldn't do that. So I was trying to find some of the things that I had listened to on Dr. Demento and loved and found out that weird Al had records. And so, um, the, my, my first, uh, weird Al purchase was, uh, in 3d, I think I got for Christmas. Oh, great. And, um, and it just kind of started from there. I, I, loved loved from from then on uh listened to stories later about how my bologna got started you know recorded in a bathroom at a at a radio station and that kind of stuff um as i said and i did get clearance to to say that on the podcast that uh, my husband has taken accordion lessons um has been known to play the accordion and um uh i love quinn was talking about representation like um al's hair like you know, I always want someone in an interview to ask him about like the maintenance regimen for that because I'm always looking for tips. Um, and uh, I've seen him many times in concert. Uh, his latest tour I heard was fantastic and I couldn't go. Uh, I think this is my white and nerdy cred showing. Uh, I couldn't go because it was the same night as the season premiere of the fourth season of Westworld. And so Don Melton and I had to record a podcast that night. So I couldn't go to the show. Um, I... I've loved Weird Al forever. I've, I mean, anybody who's spent more than five minutes with me, as all of you have, know that I'm a complete goofball. So it tracks. Um, he, I've, I love the song. I love the original stuff. I love uh, the the polkas that end up on every album that are sort of like all the songs of this minute when the record gets released. That always makes me really happy. Um, just all kinds of stuff. I, in college, I was the co-host of a radio show with a guy who sounds eerily like Dr. Demento himself, whom I've met several times. Um, and we did a, a college radio show together uh, that was novelty and comedy stuff. It was very much a Dr. Demento formatted show. And uh, like 
so I've sort of been kind of al adjacent and a big fan for a really long time. This is amazing. I I be well. First, you mentioned young Al in the movie, and I have to say that actor Richard Aaron Anderson looked so much like the real young Al. Oh my did, God. There's pictures of him at the end, and yeah, yeah. But so I became a fan of Al in the uh, mid '80s, um, and I think the first song that like threw me over the edge where I was all in was Fat, and uh, that at the time, as a parody of at the time the biggest music star in the world, uh, it really blew my mind, and I became. Very heavily invested in all things Weird Al. Owned every <laughs> album on every medium on which one could buy it, which at the time for me was first I had it all on cassette tape and then I had to get them all again on CD. CDs, yep. When I was 15 years old, so this would have been 1996. I'll just do the math for you. I'm 41. Uh, but so <laughs> when. And you're worried about me making you feel old. Okay. But so he was playing uh, in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And I, at the time, was writing for the local newspaper, which had a section written for teens and by <gasps> teens. <laughs> I was also a very um, active participant in the news group alt.music.weird-al, where I had developed yes. a friendship with John Bermuda Schwartz, who was Al's drummer. A friendship as much as, you know, a, an appropriate friendship as a teen boy and a grown man can have a friendship. But he would like write back and answer <laughs> questions. And so I emailed Bermuda and I'm like, hey, I see Al's going to be at Hershey. I write for this newspaper. Could I interview him? He's like, sure, let me connect you with his manager. I'm sure they could figure something out. <gasps> and so I connected with Jay Levy, who's been Al's manager for basically Al's entire career. And... Jay was like, yeah, that can happen. So in that uh, summertime of uh, 95, I went to this concert and there was one other, you know, grown up who was there to interview Al as well. And I'm at the appropriate, <laughs> appropriate time. And they're like, Al's going to do you first, Lex. And uh, you have 10 minutes. And I had rehearsed my opening line, which was get ready, sit down ready. if you're not sitting down. Mm -hmm. Hi, I'm Weird Al Yankovic. You must be Lex Friedman. And he gave me a nice pity laugh, which was I appreciated. Um, <laughs> and he's like, Friedman? No, that didn't happen. And so the... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I interviewed him. They gave me like a half an hour with him and it was mind blowing. I had one of those like old school black cassette recorders that everybody seemed to have in the eighties and recorded the whole thing, wrote the story. It's several years later. I'm in college and I'm dating a girl who, and you can see why I was dating her at the time, had backstage passes to a weird Al show in Boston. And I was the plus one. I, I wasn't on the list. She was on the list. And Al looks at me backstage and he goes, and again, we're in Boston now, not in Pennsylvania. And he goes, Lex Friedman, Hershey, Pennsylvania. And I was like, yes, yes, I am. <gasps> So that was That's exciting. Awesome. And I would always be in contact with the drummer, Bermuda, when I was going to be at shows. Um, I lived in LA, but then I was getting married in New Jersey and Al was playing the Greek theater in LA like three or four days after my wedding. And so I had written to Bermuda. I'm like, I won't be able to go to that show because I'm getting married. But then on my wedding night, my wife gave me tickets to that show. So then I was like, <gasps> hey, I will be at that show. And so I saw oh. Bermuda there and he's like, yeah, Al and I were talking to the tour bus about how little X Friedman's all grown up. And now I've taken my kids to Weird Al shows and I've done <laughs> business deals with Weird Al, which is crazy because in the podcast industry, he was a frequent guest on some podcasts I used to work with like Comedy Bang Bang. And so he'd be in the studio. And once when I was going to be in LA for work, I I, I wrote to him and I'm like, hey, would you would you come into the office for a meeting so we could pitch you on some podcasts? And he's like, yes. And I was like, oh my God, I summoned Weird Al for work. This is incredible. And <laughs> I'm going, to t I'm going to take two more minutes to tell you a quick story. The first time, so he just finished the ill-advised vanity tour or the return uh, of the ill-advised vanity tour, which you were referencing where he's playing only original songs. And uh, it's more of a, a staid show where they're kind of on stools and whatever. So the first time he announced that tour, which is very unlike his normal tours, which are heavily scripted, multimedia extravaganzas, costume changes, like every night's the same show. When he first announced that he was going to be doing a tour that was not like that, I reached out to Al and I was like, hey, I work at the time. I work at Stitcher and uh, we have this app, Stitcher Premium. Let me pay you to record all those shows and we'll put them all up on Stitcher Premium so that everybody can hear them. Um, 
And I was like, well, I'll talk to Jay. So I start talking to Jay and Jay's like, he's never going to do this for a variety of reasons. And, you know, tell me what you would pay and let's figure it out. So we go back and forth and it takes a couple of weeks. And eventually they're like, Jay sends me a note saying, no, we're not going to do it, but thank you. And, um, you know, one of the things he was worried was like, I was like, he said that I was concerned, you know, he, he wasn't necessarily going to sound perfect to every song, every show. And he wanted to put out a bad product. So I send one final email where I add Al back onto the chain and I'm like, listen, I'm not writing this as a business person. I'm just writing this as a fan. Like I've been a fan since the eighties. I'm, I'm paying to see three of these concerts because I want to see every set list. I want to hear every cover song. Uh, there's some fans who can't afford to go to any shows. There's some fans who don't live near where you're playing. And all of us want to hear, you know, all the songs you're doing and nobody cares if you hit the high note on Frank's 2000 inch TV or not. Um, so I hope you'll reconsider and Al writes back five minutes later saying, okay, let's do it. And so we did it. And it was oh, the greatest. So. Nice. Lex, why are any of the rest of us here? Actually? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because we needed the same person's take also, I think. <laughs> Again, why are the rest of us here? Wow. Lex, you're acquainted with the entire band and weird Al himself. That's amazing. What was it like watching this on Roku at home all by yourself in your PJs? I did also go to a screening of the movie in Philadelphia where Al showed up. Um, it was in between dates uh, right before his tour. And I just saw him at Carnegie Hall when he finished the tour. But so anyway, um, the the uh, so let's talk about the movie. Let's dive in. Where, Brian, when you were describing the movie just now before, it sounded like you maybe thought it was going to be a real biopic. Like, did you go in knowing it was a, a parody of biopics? Or did like when the movie was first announced, the press reported breathlessly, oh, it's the story of his life. And I was like, it's clearly not going to be that. Like long before we knew anything, it's clearly not going to be a straight biopic. But what was your, were you expecting it to be more of the real story? I do a full media blackout for any movie I know I'm going to see. So I didn't watch a trailer. I didn't know it was a parody until like very soon leading up to it. So I went in, oh, this will be a funny movie. And then the mom pulls the Hawaiian shirt out from behind the bed like it's a dirty <laughs> magazine. And it's like, oh! <gasps> Oh, this is my stuff. This is my, like, straight up my alley. This is going to be amazing. So, yeah, I'll, I'll open it to everybody. What was your, what's your overall take? How did you feel about the movie? Did it meet expectations, exceed? Did you enjoy it? Like, what's, what was your overall vibe? It took me a few minutes to sort out uh, that this was not, that this, you know, from, from the Hawaiian shirt, I was like, oh, that's just like funny embellishment they've added for this, right? Because I'm like... I know we're I know that Al co-wrote this movie. So I know there's nothing in it that he didn't want in there, you know, obviously. So I was watching but and then I just like at first I was like, but that's not true. That's not how that I know that's I'm pretty sure that's not how that happened. And then like, okay, I know that's not how that happened. And and so then I was like, okay, so he's made this movie of his life the same way he records songs off the radio. Okay, I get it. So then at that point, um, it was a lot more fun because I wasn't sitting there going, but wait, that's, that's not true. Um, I will the point out. The number of friends I've had reach out and be like, was Al's dad really that horrible? I'm like, no, <laughs> you're, you're 10 minutes into the movie. Just keep watching it and you'll figure out, you know, this is not real. Hopefully you'll get it. Yeah. Um, once I got to that point and then there was the moment where he's on stage with a bottle of Jack Daniels and a pair of leather pants and, and he starts yelling at the audience and I went, are the cops going to come drag him off stage? Is he in Florida? Is this the doors? Am I watching the doors? And then that's exactly what happened. <laughs> and my husband, um, who was watching it with me, uh, was he was like, he was very confused. He's like, did he really date Madonna? And, you know, like all these <laughs> things that were just really entertaining. And, and uh, so, you know, and I was telling him and he was like, well, why wouldn't this be like the real story? And I said, well, 
because the real story is not a very good movie to be completely honest and he's like okay and yeah I graduated high school at 16 and set off to be an architect and then that's just kind of not what happened he was like an architect yeah really yeah so yeah i'm like yeah that's a that's a pretty boring movie like his parents were like oh you want to play the accordion like for real for real okay we're here for that you know like that was you know he's even said like his, there was somebody in the movie that was like you know what genius like like name a popular musical artist who hasn't gone up against a drug lord or whatever it is he says you know it has all these interesting experiences <laughs> i'm like i see what you did there al so once i got once i got into it and went okay this is this is this is a movie the weird Al made this movie the way he makes some of his songs like okay that makes sense listening to dr demento under the covers as as you talked about kelly was a real thing and al has talked about in the past in interviews like that was a thing that his first his parents weren't okay with and they got more comfortable with but then like you said brian when when the hawaiian shirt comes out you're like okay good i see it i think the (laughs) the first moments that killed me and shifted i thought it was going to be a funny movie and we can talk about some uhf comparisons and i I love uhf it holds a special place in my heart as al's first movie but i think this is far far funnier and the the moments that killed me were just that messaging from the parents that i think brian you referenced at the outset of like (laughs) we we don't want you to do the things you care about we we don't want you to find joy and then (laughs) when um the seemingly bullies on the bus are encouraging al to sneak out um, there are 700 kinds of jokes in the scene with the hey boy as a concept, <laughs> yes. the polka party as a thing. And they're like, oh, that's just a thing that happened in this era of people going to polka parties. And I was like, this is ridiculously funny. And it just, I don't know, it just slayed me. But Quinn, what was your what was your take going in? I knew that it was a, a huge parody because I've seen the trailer for it and everything. And I was like, oh, OK, awesome. Like, it's just this totally fake story. And so I was surprised every time there was a detail that was included that was actually true because I've, <laughs> I've watched this movie and I've pulled up the Wikipedia page for Weird Al's Life because I'm like, I got to know. Um, and so anytime there was a, a detail that I noticed that was like actually pulled from real life, like really specific things like, oh, recording the song in a bathroom or Bermuda banging on the um, case of the accordion the to keep the beat during a live recording of like that so i mean i didn't just know that in my brain i was reading that on the wikipedia page but i was like oh it's so interesting how the there are these little details this little outline that is real but obviously everything else is so uh comedic and embellished and then it like really it really goes off from real life Um, (laughs) and then it takes off (laughs) but the origin story is i mean obviously still fake but like closer to his actual life than I thought it was going to be, which because I thought it was going to be not at all. So that was fascinating to me. Oh, 100 percent. And like there was a traveling salesman who came to the house. He didn't get beaten mercilessly by Al's dad, but still. Um, Which my husband did notice because that's how he ended up taking accordion lessons was also from a door to door -door salesman. That's amazing. Because someone came to the door. (laughs) Yeah. And so then, yeah. So the guy knocks on the door, you know, and, and starts giving the pitch and then he goes, accordion and my husband goes that's how it starts <laughs> <laughs> that's that's amazing so had any of you seen the not the trailer for the movie but the original fake trailer yes. from funny or die on which this movie was eventually based i had no idea it was a fake funny or die trailer <laughs> until afterwards i was like wait was olivia wilde doing that oh this is a fake trailer funny or die. oh interesting it always amazes me where funny or die kind of gets its fingers into the world of hollywood like with this with will ferrell it, it boggles my mind well what's hilarious to me about how that original trailer came to be where aaron paul from breaking bad played al and like you said olivia wilde played the madonna role uh pat Oswalt was dr demento uh basically the person who ended up 
co-writing the movie and directing it, Eric Appel, I think that's how he says his last name. Um, Eric Appel was friends with Patton, knew Patton was friends with that. I was like, I have this idea to do a, it was at the time of the, the notorious B.I.G. documentary that had come out of yeah. the biopic. And he's like, I have an idea to do a fake trailer for one about Al. And Patton connects me to Al. And the story that they both say, that Al and Eric both say, is that the next day they met for coffee and mapped out the trailer. Like, I was like, oh, that's a funny wow. idea. Let's meet right now and do it. And they did. I watched that at the time and that was one of the few times I've ever sat down and like dug through a website and look for contact information and stuff. And I, I was one of the people that has now been mentioned in, in a few interviews where they said, you know, everybody wanted to know when they could actually watch the movie. <laughs> and then I and then um, it's one of the things that he used to show it at concerts in the, yes. you know, in the more structured, not the I'm going to just go on my original stuff thing. But the. Um, you know, when he would do the show with with all the costume changes and the multimedia extravaganza, like one of the things he put in rotation on that set list was this trailer. And so like when he did that, I was like, oh, well, it has to be coming now. Like they really have to be doing like a real version of this, which sadly did not happen. And, uh, you know, until now. And uh, and so I was very excited to find out it was going to actually be a if debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank member FDIC. Thing. So let's talk about um, perhaps the most surprising casting of 2022. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe okay. as Weird Al is kind of uh, a shocking yet inspired choice. What was, what was your take on Daniel's take on Al? I wasn't surprised at all because as soon as I heard it, I went... You know, that tracks because I saw him on Graham Norton and he dropped the entire element song by Tom Lehrer off the top of his head in the middle of the interview does just starts. And I'm like, I've, I mean, not on television, but like, that's a thing that 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 I have done and would and was like and like I was sort of impressed. Like I had no idea that that Daniel Radcliffe, you know, knew anything about who that, that Tom Lehrer was a person that existed on Earth like ever, you know. And so it was very. When, when I saw that, I was very surprised. And then, so when they were like, yeah, guess who they cast as Weird Al? And I was like, oh, no, I can see that. And then, again, reading in interviews, um, Eric Appel said that um, he saw Daniel Radcliffe on the Graham Norton show sing the Element song and went, you know, this mm -hmm. might actually work. And so when I heard it, I was, I was, I was surprised because I was still expecting it to be more of a, an actual story of Al's life kind of movie. Um, but was like, oh yeah, okay. And then saw the trailer and went, yeah, I could believe it. That would be fine. Yeah. Daniel Radcliffe is such a weird little guy. This made sense to me as soon <laughs> as I heard it. I was like, of course, of course. I could never be surprised of Daniel Radcliffe doing anything, uh, because that's mm -hmm. just kind of the vibe that he has. And I love that. I want to be clear. Um, and I thought he did great. I thought it was a, a super fun role for him. I also was reading about how he actually sang all of the songs on set and Weird Al was there of course. And so he's just, he said he was so nervous to sing all these songs in front of Weird Al, but then they dubbed over like his actual uh, singing voice for the movie because they have different registers and everything. But yeah. I, it just sounds like such a fun time to be able to embody this embellished character and actually get to like sing all of these songs and be part of it and be part of that experience. Well, he said Weird Al gave him an accordion lesson too, which <laughs> yes. I thought was 
was I was like, oh, yeah. Can you imagine an accordion lesson from Weird Al himself? That would be wild. To your point, Quinn, I actually didn't know how involved Weird Al himself was in the making of this movie. I knew he was doing like the press junket and things like, yeah, no, this movie I'm talking about in advertisements for Roku. But then he was in the movie and I learned later he co-wrote the movie. And it makes so much sense that he was there kind of shepherding Daniel Radcliffe through this <laughs> bizarre journey through his life. And yeah, Daniel Radcliffe was a child star. He's had an amazing, wonderful, weird indie oh, style career. what else did career. he do? Oh, uh, some like Lord of the Rings thing. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, <laughs> he wound up having an amazing career afterwards doing things like whatever he wanted because he didn't need the money, presumably. And so the fact that he jumped on board and made this movie with Weird Al in a way that I presume was just like based on friendship and like, yeah, you're a good person to work with. You're easy to direct and collaborative and fun to come up with ideas for. And also, no offense to Daniel Radcliffe. I thought it was stunt casting because he was like the most famous person they could get. No, uh, this Daniel Radcliffe is almost the least famous person in the entire movie. <laughs> yeah, I also really appreciated that, with almost no exceptions, and one that I think is notable, there, there was no winking in the cast, right? Like Daniel Radcliffe acts the hell out of this movie. I think, like, he is very committed because mm -hmm. he knows he's in a comedy, but he's very serious about it. The most winking moment I think you get at all is you mentioned how Al himself is in the movie. He plays one of the the Scotty brothers as his the the potential record label, and. I've had multiple friends who watched the movie who didn't realize that that was Al because he's somewhat unrecognizable. Because as soon as you put a wig on him, nobody knows who he is. But um, you know, I think there's like one well-earned moment of winking there when Will Forte is the other Scotty brother is talking about how <laughs> Al is talentless and ugly and 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 then the actual Al is like, well, let's, let's ease up now. Like we can like, let's, let's maybe a little bit. And I appreciate, but like I really felt that. Um, uh, what's the uh, is it Toby Huss is that the yeah Toby Huss is like yeah. never never winks and Daniel Radcliffe never winks like I really appreciate the people were all in on their commitment to their roles and I, I liked that aspect I think that I think comedies play better when the performers take them seriously which is also how I feel about comedy music in general I think that Al loves to do funny music but takes the craft seriously and I felt that's that was the same approach that the movie had there's one other little fourth wall break wink that I noticed that Trujillo noticed first before I did, but then I laughed my freaking butt off when I noticed. Did did any of you notice the uh, little Harry Potter wink? Oh, but yes. I did not notice a Harry Potter wink. So Are when, you gonna uh, be my mentor? No, I'll be your D mentor because he's not mentor. I I saw something about this, though, and I saw a clip from Dana Radcliffe in an interview, and he's like, yeah, I noticed that in the script, and I was like, should I say something? Do they realize this is a Harry Potter <laughs> reference? And then I decided not to say anything. And now, in fact, said in the interview that it was not an intentional reference. <laughs> but like in the movie, you can see Daniel Radcliffe going, ah, ha, ha, ha. like, it's... <laughs> see, it, it, I, I took that moment mind. as a non... Like, I'm not... I don't really know Harry Potter. I'm not super familiar, truly. But so, as a non-Potter fan, when I saw that, my read was... He was laughing at Dr. Demento's awkwardness. It was almost like a, a, a true Dwight moment for Rain Wilson. But he was <laughs> yeah. just like, okay, like it's a good one. Okay. But that's how I read it. But I totally see yeah. why everyone would very I think I think that references are in the eyes of the beholder. So I think if we if people see the Harry Potter reference there, it's there. But man, I uh I I do love that scene. I I think my favorite moment in the entire movie, and that's hard for me to pick, is the moment that my Bologna is authored. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. That was awesome. He's there with his college roommates who devoted Al fans will recognize are all named uh with the names of his other band members. <laughs> so and um they're like, you know, why don't you pursue your passion? And then the the bassist, Steve, 
says like that he's been driving with his eyes closed and not knowing if he'll live to see another day. I appreciated the random darkness at that moment. But like, well, if you're not, and, and Al says that what he wants to do is, you know, write funny lyrics, write parodies of songs, but that time of his life is over. And like, well, if you're not going to do that right now, then make us some sandwiches. And that the way it's so drawn out with my Sharona playing on the radio, and then apparently the record is skipping at the radio station, and Al's <laughs> looking at it, looking, and we get closer and closer on the baloney. Like, it's just, I thought that that's, moments overwroughtness not just from how he's writing it but then how they react to it i loved every second and then the fact that it's on the radio becomes popular all in one day it's just i just could not get over that entire thing as someone who also comes up with very silly lyrics to songs or hears a phrase and think oh that scans perfectly to piano man or something like that this scene spoke to me very deeply and truly to the core of my being when you hear a phrase and you think oh that's perfect for this song. I realized an ATP episode title scanned perfectly to a My Chemical Romance song title and no one in my house appreciated it. So I hope Twitter <laughs> appreciates that one. Yeah, I do. Th- I, I do the same thing. I mean, I don't know if I, I don't, what I honestly don't know is because it was early enough in my childhood. If it's because I was listening to Weird Al or if it was because I thought this jelly bean is not my color was really funny to myself and then found out Weird Al did the same thing, but like professionally, I don't know. But um, that scene was hilarious to me. And uh, and and I liked hear, seeing the, the winks and nods to some of the other stuff. Like um, when he gets when he his version of Beat on the Brat on the accordion was hysterical there at the beginning when he's trying to audition for bands. And I was like, I that was a lot more fun than I thought it would be. I would listen to that again. Um, when he pulls the the piece of paper, uh, the the number off the flyer, um, there was another flyer there for a karate school that, um, now I'm blanking on the name. It is so early here. Um, oh, oh, I think you mean Cooney. Cooney's cries. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. But it was, it was very, very, I saw that and, went, oh, and thought it was funny. And like uh, seeing Patton Oswalt in the crowd heckling everybody, um, the party at the grotto that Dr. Demento invites him to. <laughs> yes. Well, we have to talk uh, about the cameos. Like we have to talk about all of the cameos because I went back and watched it again because I was first trying to figure out who were all the people at the party, you know, unquote, that they're showing me and then went back and went. Why does Andy Warhol look familiar? And so I had to watch that scene a couple of times to catch who all of the other people were. Yeah, it's actually surprising how how non-obvious some of those actors are. Um, yes. But, mm-hmm. so I, but before we dive into the cameos, I just want to hit on some of those references. Because, yeah, there is a poster that talks about uh, Cooney's Karate School. Uh, but I think that the references that, to reward Al fans start almost immediately. Like in the opening shot, you're hearing somebody flipping through radio stations, which I guess is Al as he's finding the Dr. Demento show. And there's somebody talking about how there's a, a sale on gabardine suits, which is also a lyric in Al's parody of King of Pain called mm-hmm. King of Suede. So it's like the very first thing. And I was like, oh, my God, that's a lyric. And, um, and they're they're constant like there are references to al's songs lines from uhf just stuff from al's life all the time that are only there for hardcore fans which i appreciate but yes let's let's talk about the cameos so there is the big grotto scene which i guess is in some ways uh referencing boogie nights i think Mm -hmm. which when i when i made that connection was also very very amusing to sit there and be like this is from is this that thing from boogie nights like boogie nights and that yeah and even when he's, um, this is before that scene, but when he's about to author My Bologna, there's two boxes of cereal on the counter as well. One yes. is Captain Crunch and the other is Raisin Bran, the two cereals from Eat It. That comes back later. So who, who did you notice right away in, uh, in the cameo laden pool scene? 
Truge noticed Emo Phillips immediately as Salvador Dali. Um, yes. I think that's the only one that we clocked immediately, but I was staring at Andy Warhol like, why do I know mm-hmm. you? You look so familiar. It looks yes. like you need a friend, but I can't figure out who you are. <laughs> and indeed it was Conan. <laughs> yes, I, yeah. I clocked Conan immediately. I was like, aha. I also thought I liked his line where he's like, mm, I'll give him 15 minutes. I give him 15 um, minutes. I mean, it was it was an obvious joke, but it was still a pretty good one. <laughs> yeah. They, they, play, they made it work. I didn't yeah. I didn't recognize Dimitri Martin at all um, until I went back and looked at the list of cameos later. Demetri Martin. Martin is Tiny Tim. He's yes. Tiny oh, Tim. Sh- yeah. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, it was, he was really good. Um, Conan was, I had the same as, as Brian. I'm like, no, I know him. And I'm a person who's pretty good at, uh, I know that, I know I've seen them before. And a lot of times I can figure it out. Um, I went back through and watched it again. And when I saw it again, uh, and, and I don't know what it was about the second time through. Maybe it was just because I wasn't trying so hard to figure everybody out. But the second time through, I was like, oh, that's who that is. And then I listened to Dolly talk the second time through and went, I think that's Emo Phillips. And then when we went through the list, that it that's who it turned out to be. But it was uh, it was fun the first time through to figure out who all the people were supposed to be at the party. So I'm like, okay, Divine, Elvira, uh, Frank Zappa, Gallagher, um, you know, all these people. It was it was really fun. I liked Rain Wilson as Dr. Demento, uh, but I remembered Patton playing him in the trailer in the the Funnier Die original trailer, and so I was a little bit disappointed that Patton didn't do it again. But and they wanted uh, Patton, but he he had an injury. I think he was recovering from something, so he couldn't do it. Ooh, um, and yeah. it came up very last minute. But I, I Paul F. Tompkins as Gallagher, I clocked right away. <laughs> yeah, I did too. He, Paul has said uh, on, on Twitter since that uh, he went right up to Jack Black, who um, plays Wolfman <laughs> Jack, and that Jack Black clearly did not know who um, who the person dressed as uh, Gallagher was. Like, did not figure out that it was Paul <laughs> Tompkins for forty five minutes. And I love oh that. Like, God. I love the idea of them all being there. And they've talked about how that scene was filmed like pretty early in some covid restrictions starting to loosen like in a, in a, a downturn of various variants and it was like they're a lot of people's first time seeing each other in person in a while and so the pair mm-hmm. was like just fully joyous uh two of the three members of uh, the lonely island were there uh Jorma mm-hmm. yeah. and akiva mm-hmm. and andy samberg had wanted to do it but couldn't get there for that day and initially they were all supposed to be they were all supposed to be members of queen <laughs> <laughs> when they couldn't they figured out other parts which i think worked out really well akiva's alice cooper i thought was delightful and obviously jorma's peewee is lovely yeah I didn't figure him out, but I was because but I did wonder, like, who did they get to play Pee Wee Herman? But it was it was also fun to see, like, what sort of intersection they thought they had of like what sort of intersection they have all the all the people that were there, um, you know, because I was like, yeah, you know, Alice Cooper sitting and chatting with Gallagher next to a pool in Southern California. I could see that. <laughs> you know, The 70s, were the, the late 70s were a very weird time. Right. So it was it was. It was, re- but it was really entertaining just to see all of that, and then some of the other meta stuff about some of that was really fun. Like, you know, well, you know who that is is you know from the you know that's one of the guys from the Lonely Island, and you know here's this and and you know who that person is, and some of the some of the meta stuff like we talked about, like I mentioned before, when they talk about like what what popular recording artist hasn't had all of these things, you know, happen to that. Well, you're looking at one, um, you know, uh, when you mentioned Will Forte, uh, you know, and you're just so, you know, you're so ugly, da, 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 the hair and, you know, like all of the little, like there were, there were a bunch of little kind of meta things like that. And the Dementor joke that, uh, that I thought were, were really entertaining and were there for people who pick up some of the more subtle stuff in 
some of you know when when al tosses something off in the middle of a song you know yes. and and something that 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 he's it's the same sort of thing that that happens on a on a fan level when people peel that stuff back and and listen to more of it and and you know oh i never realized that's exactly what he was saying there and you know that makes that funnier in some way that that kind of stuff was all really entertaining i like i did once i once i got over like but that's not true um and <laughs> realized what i was actually watching uh keeping an eye out for that stuff was was also pretty fun i really did appreciate diedrich bader as the narrator which I ended. Mm. It took me like half the movie to figure out, but as soon as I, but I figured it out. And I was very, very excited. My oldest objected to the voiceover conceit because, and I, I, I think the whole episode is a spoiler horn. But she, she wants to. My oldest was like, "How can Al be narrating if he's also dead?" <laughs> I'm like, "It doesn't mm. matter. That is not the point. It doesn't matter." But <laughs> really, was hung up on that. Taking one step back for a moment, I, I was really impressed with. This was, they've been pretty clear, although they haven't said what the budget was. So this was a low budget movie and they shot it in 17 or 18 days, I believe it was. And yeah. I think that it rarely shows that. I don't think it never shows that. I think there's times where it's clear to me they didn't have quite enough coverage because like they're doing some over the shoulder shots and the mouths aren't moving properly at all while the person's talking. But yeah. I think for the most part, it doesn't look cheap, which I am impressed mm -mm. by. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it really did not. I remember being surprised when because I was looking at, at some of the stuff after the fact, and I remember being very surprised that it was like 18 days. Um, and I know they said it was like medium budget, like it wasn't an indie movie, but it wasn't a Marvel movie. And I'm like, well, those are two pretty extreme ends on the scale. <laughs> but, yeah, but they don't um, make medium budget movies anymore like this. This is a kind yeah. of a rarity. Yeah, well, and and they said like, you know, it was hard to to shop it around because nobody wanted to make a medium movie, like a medium budget film. Nobody wants to do that. And so... They were like, it just sort of worked out that Hulu was trying to find something that they could kick off their originals program with, apparently. And and frankly, I think people underestimate how much fandom Al has. And yes. he has, has a, you know, one non-successful movie under his belt, which I think <laughs> yeah. works against him. Yeah. Well, because that was like, that was the other thing that I thought was was interesting about it was you know watching like watching all of that and then pointing things out to uh, my husband who's more of a fan in law like through me you know because like because he's listened to me practice white and nerdy because i sing it at karaoke all the time things like that um <laughs> uh, which i am awesome at by the way and i am very confident in that assessment because i happen to know that somebody who works at the place where i go to karaoke has told other people who work there about the fact that i do this and do it as well as i do so i feel pretty confident confident in my ability on that um but it, it was um uh, it was it was listening to you know like pointing some of that stuff out to him like uh when maximum fun came out and the internet decided this needed to be the number one album and made it the number one album like mandatory like a fun. sub mandatory fun yeah. uh, maximum fun dot maximum <laughs> maximum effort sorry um that's where i'm getting confused uh there's a deadpool on my desk so i'm, I'm looking right at it um <laughs> he uh the, the like there was a like the weird al reddit decided this needed to be the number one album because al's had all these records for all these time and you know could like it would be really nice to get like actual recognition for it and so the internet decided and it just sort of went around online as things sometimes do and it it, it was the album at the top of the charts and uh aside from from the success in the fandom is the craft like a lot of I, I think that the band and al himself don't get enough credit for nailing 
the the vibe because a vibe is hard making something sound like something else is is kind of easy but making the but getting the vibe of it so that you can sing whatever words you want to sing instead and everybody knows what it is that you're doing they accomplish that every time and so you know they've done songs that sound like nirvana songs that sound like country songs songs that sound like r kelly songs that sound like michael jackson songs that sound like madonna and every one of those songs sounds exactly like the song that it's emulating and it's really hard to do all of those things to have the ability to play bass on a rock song bass on a country song you know and and be able to master all of those styles of all of those different songs and shift those gears every night when you're doing live shows be able to go okay well now we're playing the country song now we're playing the madonna song now we're playing a backstreet boys song and having all of those work as you skip from genre to genre to genre of music like the the craftsmanship in that band which has also been together since the uh, 80s well, yeah bermuda schwartz has been with him since my bologna the two of them recorded that but then everybody the other two guys uh, started on his first album and they've been the band for Weird Al ever since. So they've all been playing together for all that time. So, which was another thing I got to point out to my husband. Um, so watching them, like like watching that evolve and then, you know, knowing that, knowing that, you know, that is the band that he plays with today and, and watching all of them, like I don't think they get the credit for the musicianship that they, yeah, that I they always should. I also, I appreciated that, um, to capture what the sound should be in the movie that Al re-recorded a bunch of songs that are on the soundtrack now. Um, but he didn't re-record uh, Eat It because Eat It is never performed live in the movie. It's only ever mm -hmm. seen on yeah. a recording. But um, I loved the conceit that Al wanted to take a turn towards original music. And so he wrote <laughs> Eat It. I knew something would happen like that. I just, amazing. I just laughed. And that the kid from the Jackson 5? Like, why yeah, would and, it be I bad mean, to be associated with Michael Jackson? That was another example of like this movie just absolutely not blinking because yes. they really kept up with that bit. And there was absolutely no wavering on the commitment that this was an original Weird Al song and Michael Jackson was parodying it. And yes. I love that because I think a lesser movie would have made that more of a fourth wall breaking bit. But the characters performed that as if it was 100% genuine, even though they were saying things that were ridiculous to us, the audience knowing the yes. truth. And I love the idea that maybe a person who knows nothing about music could genuinely walk away with the idea that Beat It was the, uh, the parody of Eat It. <laughs> I also, I appreciate there is, again, I don't think it was done winkingly. I agree with you completely, Quinn, but I appreciate to me, there was some subtle reference with all that moment to the fact that there are many nerdy Weird Al fans, fans, and I count myself among them, whose introduction to many of the songs that Al has parodied are through his parody. Like people who know the parody first. I certainly knew Yoda long before I had ever heard Lola. And mm -hmm. there were times as I, before I, you know, would... I mean, that's a, that's a product of timing, Lex. You and I both are kind of in that era where like, yeah, exactly. of course I heard yes. Yoda first yes. because yeah, who, yeah, we didn't have access to the Kings as children. <laughs> There's this notion where now I can read the liner notes for an album or sometimes we'll even parody songs that I've heard of. But in those earlier days, I would sometimes hear a song on the radio and be like, Oh my God, this is how that song is a parody. This is the original of that song. Now I'm hearing it for the first time. <laughs> yes. Uh, but so I, I don't know. I loved everything about that. You can see, and they really, they want to make sure that you get it. <laughs> like this is yes. you're saying, this is a completely original song. And he wrote all the music. All by, yeah, that's, 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 this is what it is. <laughs> I, 
I think that and that I already talked about my Bologna were my two favorite moments of the film because they were just so unexpected to me and just so, so silly. And we've gotten this far in the podcast, kind of like they get this far in the movie. And we still haven't mentioned Evan Rachel Wood. (laughs) (laughs) You knew I I was going to, right? I knew she was in the movie, but I didn't recognize her until afterwards. And I was like, oh, where's Evan Rachel Wood? <gasps> that was her. Oh, my God. She <laughs> looks so different than my like quintessential Ra- Evan Rachel Wood performance of in Across the Universe that I didn't recognize her until the credits. And she, yeah. of course, is Madonna in the movie. And uh, she has even described it as she's not really playing Madonna. She's playing like an idea of Madonna or what parents feared Madonna was in the late 80s. Yes. And I... I obviously fan um i really loved watching i loved the takes on all of the people who were real people you know um rain wilson's version of of dr demento and all of that but madonna's was madonna was so so fun uh i really liked watching the two of them interact and all of that uh it's and evan rachel woods that- physicality that gets me the most you know as madonna where she's ready to pose or to vogue she's committed to it at any moment she's ready to get into a pose like they were very committed to her character being just awful, right? Like just, just an awful person. <laughs> She's the worst, yeah. But I loved the way she embodied the physical nature of it. Like I don't know, there. I Weird Al has always characterized himself as family friendly. He doesn't really swear on his albums. Um, and this movie, I thought, pushed the line in a couple ways. Not in any way that I had a problem with. Like I, I watched it with my kids, but uh, my brother in law was watching with his much younger kids and had a couple concerns, right? Like the the. According to Salesman Getting Beaten Senseless, um, the the almost said line by the accordion salesman who talks about how he's going to be drowning, <laughs> you need a lifeguard? et cetera. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but then the, the, the quote unquote love scene with Madonna, I thought all, I mean, I understand not wanting the youngest of kids to see it, but I thought it was handled in a way that really leaned into this doesn't have to actually be sexy in any way. Like this can just be ridiculous and silly. And the thing, I guess because I have my own prudishness. The thing that shocked me the most was the smoking. The smoking yes. afterwards. It I'm like, really, really is. They're gonna it smoke. It was weird, wasn't it? I mean, haha. But like, it's always really unusual now when you see a movie where people are smoking in it. It seems like so. It especially because they weren't, you know, the villain of the piece, and so that's right. part of what you know what makes it funny. Like, oh, obviously the bad guy's gonna pull out a cigarette, but when when <laughs> Al sits down, when Al returns to the Scotty Brothers offices and sits down and lights up, I'm like. Whoa! <laughs> it was like that was He's the in thing his villain true. era. Yeah, that's that true. Was, that's true, actually. Yeah, but I mean, it, like some of the stuff that struck me was like the scene in the restaurant when he finds out that Michael Jackson recorded this record. Was he takes the phone and starts bashing it on the counter and then picks it up and continues to have the conversation? And I'm like, oh yeah, you could get away with that then, couldn't you? And and I just like, love that he just keeps bashing it and nothing happens to the phone. Nothing happens to the counter. Yeah. He's just bashing it over and over again. I love that kind of silliness. There was. Just no point to it. And I loved it. The, my favorite thing about the second half of the movie is that every single scene feels like a pastiche from a different movie. And the yes! tone is so different in each scene. So when he like takes out a cigarette and lights up, like, whoa, okay. And then when he beats up everyone in the diner, like, whoa, okay. And when he kills Pablo Escobar, you think, wow, okay. Every scene reminded <laughs> me of the opening of UHF when he does the Indiana Jones pastiche. And it's like... <laughs> Every single yes. scene has its own different DNA, but the fact that it's all so silly and has this umbrella of weird owlness over it mm. made it all make sense. Yeah. Just like records. Just like we were talking about a minute ago, shifting gears yeah. from, from one to the other. Yeah. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued 
at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. So some of the reviewers who've had criticisms of the movie have focused on that third act, I guess, like some of the Pablo Escobar piece. And so I was nervous going in when I saw the screen, like, oh, is that part going to hold up? But I thought it was handled beautifully. Like, it's so silly. It's so stupid. Frankly, the 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 Hey Boy callback, I thought was also one of the true that was laugh out loud brilliant. moments of the movie. I just laughed at that. It was very good. There is a thing about now there's violence right now. We're actually murdering people, but it was so silly and so stupid that it did not feel violent to me in any way. Mm-mm. All these, and then Madonna's being a terrible shot and Al having no fear. Like I loved all of yeah. it, <laughs> but building to this moment where you're at the award show, I did not see the climactic moment of the award show coming. Did anybody <gasps> predict that that was what was going to happen? Absolutely not. No, not even a little. Al, Al yeah, getting Al- murdered was so funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take that out of context. <laughs> I, it was really just like, because, you know, you assume from all the things that, he, of course, he'll keep living like he's had this life. But I thought it was so funny and so inspired. And I'm going to assume, pray to, I hope that all of you watched through the credits. Yes. Oh, of course. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which which was just funnier to me. This guy yeah. was really nice to me on set. Yes, <laughs> you've got you've got the extra moment that's uh, a throwback to what movie? Carrie, wasn't it? Yes, Carrie. Yes, Carrie. Where uh, first of all, everything about that extra moment with Madonna visiting Al's grave was funny to me. The fact that she would, the fact that she was still dressed as Madonna, the fact that the gravestone said "Born whatever ate it, ate it, nineteen eighty five, killed me." And then of course the hand. But then I I do love that song, the first original Al song in several years. I do love the song that goes over the credits, particularly. It's refusal. Now you know. Now so you know. Was, yeah. That's, but yeah. when he talks about everything's movie was true except for one thing, I did perform at Live Aid with Queen. <laughs> I love that that's, <laughs> oh that's, God, that's the right. one correction he wanted to make. It was very funny. Extremely yeah. funny. I thought the Pablo Escobar scenes could have been shorter. It's not that I disliked them, but if there was 10 minutes to cut from the movie, I think it would be from that sequence. Quinn, what did you think of the Pablo Escobar stuff? I really loved that it all was leading to something because I did feel like a lot of this movie was just happening. <laughs> if that makes sense, like I just <laughs> yeah. you know, see, scenes just keep coming, and I there's it's not necessarily leading to anything because it's so focused on being a parody um, mm-hmm. that it's 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 uh, satirizing other things instead of um, leading to its own arc, and so to suddenly just take this swerve into what is kind of like the narrative arc, I guess, of the, the movie. Um, in ter- and not in terms, there is like an emotional arc that they have, kind of. Um, but the okay, we've we've been dropping these hints about Pablo Escobar, and now that's actually coming to something. It's not just a joke. Uh, we we now have to confront Pablo Escobar. Uh, that was pretty funny to me. I did think that maybe it went on a little long, but I loved the entire. Uh, everything about the fact that they had Daniel Radcliffe up there dressed as Weird Al with the machine gun was perfect, and they can't cut a second of it. Um, and I the did camo, also the camo Hawaiian shirt did me. Oh my in. god! When he walks out of the out of the woods in the camo shirt, I just that was that did it for me. I had to pause for a minute and and recover before I kept going. But yeah, yeah, and I love the sequence of it 
the confrontation with Madonna where she just keeps shooting at him and is not hitting anything. <laughs> that was also very funny to me. Um, so yeah, I definitely like, I was like, I did genuinely didn't see this coming and it does feel a little bit like they just asked, what's the weirdest thing we could possibly do here? Um, but for this movie, I guess that's a fair question to ask. So, all right. <laughs> Well, and I like they achieved it. It wasn't like, what's the weirdest thing we could do? Madonna takes over for Pablo Escobar. No, it's too weird. Like, never did that happen. Or, you know, they, they aimed for something and it wasn't quite odd enough or it wasn't a, a goofy enough choice to to make the cut. Like, anything that they did, all of it was very, you know, Madonna shows up at the end with an eye patch. <laughs> yes. You, yes. Why? No idea. Are you ever going to tell us? Nope. She and, can make her own movie if she wants to explain how that happened. <laughs> weird weird the madonna story (laughs) this is the point in the movie where i started thinking about why this movie was produced and distributed by roku tv i remember when they announced they would be making the weird al movie i thought interesting you did think that weird al could have gotten a deal from netflix or hulu or fx or something but i guess roku's the only people that wanted him and as we watched my partner truge was like oh No, Roku gave them the most creative freedom to make Madonna a villain, to make Weird Al shooting Pablo Escobar, to make Harry Potter holding a machine gun. Like, okay, that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Netflix would have wanted to make a very different movie or would have put more influence on it. And I bet that is why they are on Roku TV, which is why I'm learning all about Roku's brand new set-top box and T-Mobile 5G, because he can't pay for the movie anymore. (laughs) I bet, and I mean, what do I know? But I bet that some of those services regret not taking the movie because I think it did incredible press, like a lot more than even um, Netflix's Marilyn Monroe biopic did. I hope so because (laughs) I thought it was really fun. And yeah, I had no idea they made a Marilyn Monroe movie. (laughs) Actually. And both, uh, the both actors who played Al's parents were in that movie too. (laughs) Playing Al's parents, weirdly enough, but so, uh, (laughs) but I, I, I have seen the movie once in a theater and with an audience, of course, movie experience is always fun. Um, I, I prefer it without the commercials, but I'm grateful to Roku that this movie exists and is a thing in the world. And so if they're going to stick them as in there, fine. Like it wasn't, it wasn't horrible. It was mostly ads like you're saying <laughs> Brian, for, for Roku movies or Roku TV shows. Um, but uh, there was a moment that I really liked that Brian, I know from the pre-wire that you were not as big a fan of. And so I want to go into it. I liked it from the, the comedic setup of Al is finally reuniting with his parents and, uh, they're clearly trying to inspire him. I guess this is another winking moment in the movie. They're trying to inspire him to come up with lyrics to a song. They're referencing his parody uh, of Michael Jackson's Bad Fat. And then things segue and it turns out that his father um, wrote the lyrics to Amish Paradise. And that becomes what it is. But I know that, Brian, you had some some issues with that scene. Yeah, I just wanted to bring up the fat suit because I was concerned going into this Weird Al biopic that there would be a fat suit given how big of a hit Eat It and Fat were for him. I remember, I mean, this is how little the Weird Al fan from the 80s that I was. I remember they did the video and referenced it for uh, Eat It and I think, oh wow, they didn't show the scenes with the fat suit. That's amazing. That's great. Oh wait, there's another fat phobic Michael Jackson parody that he did later and that was fat. Okay, fine, whatever. There's something about the fact that Weird Al has been very good about addressing when older lyrics and things that he had done in the past has not aged well. As the Overton window shifts, he has really acknowledged that and really owned it. I'm thinking about Albuquerque when there's a slur in there that whenever he performs it live, he will pause and say, listen, that is a slur. I should not have used that. But that's something that is you know, written to the song. It's something not something you should use. It's a slur. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was great. And then uh, what was it? The word crimes one where he used a slur that didn't realize there was a negative connotation to it. He said, wow, I am so sorry. I won't do 
that one live. I had hoped that fat suits in his movies and in his videos would have been the object of that kind of, uh, not apology, but that kind of like acknowledgement that that's not something to do because it dehumanizes fat people and uh, fatness is not a costume you can take off at the end of the shoot, but that's neither here nor there. I highly recommend Googling your fat friend. She's on Medium. She's incredible and writes lots of articles about this. But what I was hoping for in that scene when his mom comes out with, uh, with like fat prosthetics on her, I was hoping that there would be some sort of like, mom, are you wearing a fat suit? Take that off. You don't have to inspire me in that way. I was hoping there would be some extra comedy around how like taking something that is problematic from the past and turning it into more comedy about how it's problematic that's what i love about his live performances of albuquerque so i was hoping that is mm-hmm. in his sights it's not something that i no weird i was not canceled this movie not canceled i love this movie but it's worth calling out here on this podcast thanks for throwing me about that lex of course so let me <laughs> uh, recognizing that i i still have lots of things to learn i will tell you the two things that i thought was why it, it, it didn't make me blink until you brought it up and i'm appreciating everything you're enlightening me on here the two things that i thought was oh i i appreciate how this is being handled one is that i feel like the original song and i'm guessing that this is you would not share this viewpoint and so i'm, I'm getting wiser to it i felt that the original song didn't feel fat phobic it felt like almost like a, a power anthem because at no point does he say like i regret this or i'm embarrassed by this he's saying this is who i am and like accept me is, is how i have always interpreted it, which i'm guessing is not the full vibe of the song <laughs> but the second thing was and this is again i, I think i'm probably just showing my own naivete if that naivete um i thought that it was a subtly done suit which i thought was intentional like she, she, you wouldn't see her come out and think she is fat in that scene like she didn't like it, it to me like it was like you have to look at her a couple of times you're like what is actually happening because the prosthetics are frankly a little bit weird but like they, it's more subtle it's not like hey here's this person who we've made like look dramatically different it's like it looked like normal aging to me and that's what i first thought they were going for until they called out what they were going for i don't know if Mm -hmm. either of those things matter but those were the things that i noted that i was thinking about after i had um heard from you on that topic and when i was watching it again no i really appreciate that uh that perspective you're right that it's not as galling or terrible as the original like fat video fat suit but any fat prosthetics is worse than no fat prosthetics. But I take your point. It yeah. is slightly more, you know, natural aging than like the silly over the top fat music video, fat suit to, and again, to your point, even though the, the, even though the lyrics are not necessarily disparaging, it is the parody of a thin person wearing a fat suit. That is the problem with the music video itself. Uh, we'll include in the show notes. If you're up for it, Lex, a uh, article called when thin actors play fat characters. This is what really, you know, crystallize my thoughts on that scene but yeah thanks for this uh thanks for this brief tangent into fat phobia <laughs> no i i really appreciate it i appreciate you bringing it up um fascinating actually and i found that article too um i will say i think that you know although pablo escobar is in theory a key villain in the movie i do feel like madonna is the real villain unsurprisingly absolutely <laughs> i was amazed at how mad i got at her like when she's yeah. when she's pouring that medicine down his throat the alcohol down his throat when he after he's performed like a surgeon for the first time i was so mad at her even on my my I, kind of embarrassing it's not that old a movie and i've seen it now three times but i was like i'm still getting <laughs> mad when she's pouring it down his throat i'm like what stop doing this so I don't know. I find that very impressive that it is still hilarious. And I'm mad at her all at the same time. I really became a pastiche of almost famous in that moment, too. Yes, absolutely. It did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was it was really fun to watch to watch it evolve and watch her turn into the the bad guy. But also like it was super fun because it was Madonna. But also, you know, you're getting the same 
Yoko Ono vibe kind of, you know, like this is the girl that broke up the band and all of that. And I thought it was really fun to watch. I liked I liked that her arc was like, well, somebody's got to run a drug cartel, you know, and and decides that's what she's going to do instead. And I loved her, uh, the business model she pitched him in the diner of like, I'll record songs and then you just record the parody versions and we will make all the money and it will be amazing. <laughs> she specifically said, I'll record good versions of the songs. <laughs> I'll record good versions. Yeah. And like, I, I've seen it twice and I did love watching her be terrible. And it was, it really felt like, like overall, it felt like everybody in the movie was having a really good time making the movie. And I feel like that shows even, you know, even if it's a very serious film, even if they're very dark moments or whatever, you can tell when the people doing it are enjoying what they're doing. And I felt like everybody in that in this movie enjoyed that. And I feel like one of the people who enjoyed it most was Evan Rachel Wood. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that feels like an easy sell, right? Like we want you to wear this tool skirt and an eye patch at the end and uh, it's going to take a lot of hairspray but it's only going to be like you know, it's not even going to be three weeks you in you know you end up running a drug well, i don't know you end up running a drug cartel at the end i'm in there's the the minor subplot of the factory where al's dad works where he wants what? al's work what do they make I, well al, in, in an interview recently al said they make whatever goes inside the briefcase in pulp fiction <laughs> oh god oh my oh, god <laughs> That answer is perfection. <laughs> yeah, I take no credit. That's all Al. But I, um, I, I loved the conceit of the factory as you know, it's just a horrible place. And just in that opening scene where he's like, "There was another brutal, horrifying death at the factory." Al, if you want a job, I can get you in. That was. I laughed so hard at that. My husband's like, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "Look at what just happened. Oh, this was horrible, and somebody fell into the shredder." And I couldn't get him out, you know, because I've only got the one good hand as it is. And now he's like, hey, I'll come down and work with me. It'll be great. <laughs> I actually think on my third rewatch, I was most impressed with Toby Huss as Al's dad, because there's that that whole scene where he's like telling Al his entire uh, Amish backstory. And Al's like, I had no yeah. idea, which is a very common line in that sort of a moment. And then Toby Huss is like, of course, I, I literally just told you, like, what, what's your problem? <laughs> How could you have had an idea? <laughs> God, that was I a very that. funny moment to inspire him to do Amish Paradise in a way that meant that Al was kind of given this tablet from Mount Sinai about here is your uh, <laughs> Amish Paradise lyrics. I know what I must do. Yeah. And it's unclear to me. I don't think it matters in any way. Is Amish Paradise a parody in this movie's universe or not? Because we see an angry Coolio at one point, which is a reference to Al's one time Coolio drama. Uh, R.I.P. If his dad wrote the song, that exactly. Yeah. But if his dad wrote the song, then what? So. I appreciated I did, that complexity. I did read that um, they were trying to find a way to get like so that that Julio might be able to see it. And he passed away before they were. So he never got to see oh. the movie. So I was I was sad to see that. But um, that was one of those sort of meta moments. Like at the end, when you see all the the pictures of of Al, you know, through his career. And uh, one of them is with Queen Elizabeth. That was also kind of funny. Um, and it was another one of those. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> kind of moments. <laughs> so yeah. I will say also on the on the Amish Paradise thing, like I, I also noticed they didn't quite make that explicit, but I took it sort of narratively to be like, oh, this is a parody because his dad wrote parody lyrics and that's like the resolution to that. It's like, oh, not only do I I'm learning all these things about you and you finally accept me and are proud of me, you yourself are a parody lyricist, the thing that you never wanted me to be. Um and and then he's also like going back to doing parodies quote unquote at the end um, instead of his original music um, so I yeah. felt like that worked 
I, I take it as that to sort of work better for the narrative arc before he gets assassinated. <laughs> I also, I, in that moment, I forgot until my, my second uh, watch through uh, that moment um, right before Al is murdered when he is so pleased to have won the award, the very specific award for a specific genre of music. <laughs> yes. Call back to the beginning. He wets his pants. <laughs> I'm fine. With, I don't object to it, <laughs> but I also don't understand it. Like that felt like from a different movie. That felt like now we're in Zucker Brothers territory in a way that the the rest of the movie I think is hilarious. But it's it's not it's not an airplane movie. It's a different kind of movie. And then mm-hmm. we also just have Al peeing his pants. And I was like, well, that's that's weird. I'll take it, but weird. I don't know if that yeah. moment caught anybody else. Hey, 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 it's it's Lex from the future here, interrupting Lex from the past. Uh, you might have heard Lex from the future cut in a couple times because my own track for this podcast had gotten a little messed up, and so I've done some work to fix it. But I have since learned that that moment where Al pees his pants, I didn't know this while we were recording the podcast live, but I've since learned that's a reference to a scene in uh, the Bradley Cooper Lady Gaga movie, uh, Star is Born, where apparently Bradley Cooper's character pees his pants on stage while they're accepting an award in the movie. I have no idea why that happens, but apparently it does happen, and this moment was referencing that i just i just didn't know and now back to lex from the past i just thought it was okay this you know like at that point you know we're we're to the end of the movie i'm like okay i got you know i guess we're doing that too um i did like some of the real small stuff though like uh prince leaving in a huff in mm-hmm. <laughs> before like prince is thinking i want that award for that a very specific genre of because he refused a parody for a weird owl right like he vetoed it back in the 80s repeatedly i believe al had asked him three different times on three different parodies. Al has asked, yeah i know I didn't know it was three, but I knew it was more than once. And it's just sort of a like Al trying to be cool about it because he could if he wanted to, like legally he would be allowed. But he mm-hmm. always wants to get the OK from the original artist. And so he went to Prince more than one time and every time Prince said no. And so I just thought it was so I did like the, the we got a little nod to that in the movie. And it was those sorts of moments that that made me chuckle you know, all the way through, like seeing the little nods to stuff. I thought it was really fun. One of those rejected parodies was uh, Yellow Snow as a parody of Purple Rain. In case you're <laughs> curious. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, one of the reasons I thought Madonna was such a villain, and again, I wasn't a very big fan of like 80s Weird Al for a very long time, was I thought that Madonna had also vetoed a song because I knew there was something about Like a Surgeon and Al. Turns out that was a real song and they did in the movie. And I thought when they did that scene in the movie, I was like, oh, did Weird Al take unreleased lyrics and put them to the music that Madonna said? No, I was wrong. I was overthinking it too much. That was a real song. The reality <laughs> of it is, is that truly Madonna had a mutual friend with Al's manager, Jay. And Madonna had said to that mutual friend, hey, when is Al going to make Like a Surgeon? Obviously, the Madonna in this movie is a, a hilariously fake depiction. I fully believe that Madonna would say this to that friend, knowing it would have a chance to get back to Al, like Madonna willing a Weird Al parody oh, of herself into the world. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100% yeah. feels calculated. But yes, I, it is. So I was watching with my uh, with my kids and my oldest did not know Like a Surgeon, which I, <gasps> yeah, I deeply regret it and said that I've failed as a father. That just looks bad for you as a parent, Lex. We literally, okay. I literally made Ani go through the entire Weird Al discography uh, with me yesterday. We went through all the songs, <laughs> talked about which ones didn't know, and well, now we have a list. And, like the Yankovic bump that they talk about in the movie, that's a thing. Like that actually does happen. And like Kurt Cobain in many interviews talked later, like talked about, we knew we made it when there was a Weird Al version of our song. Like he said that m- more than once was like, that's how we knew we were a big deal was when Smells Like Nirvana came out. We, you know, that was when we understood like this is, you know, we we actually have made it. And it wasn't until then. And I thought that was, and I always thought that was uh, very funny. So, um, I, and 
it's not, you know, the massive thing that, you know, it's not a career resurrector or anything like that, but like it totally is a thing that happens. And I think um, it's partly because, you know, Lex, like you and I were talking about earlier with like with like Yoda and stuff, um, which, by the way, retroactively just gets funnier as you listen to it now. Right. I'll be I'll be playing this part until I'm old and gray. Um, so listen like going back getting to go back and listen to those songs so like i always sort of wait when when new weird al records come out i always hope that maybe he's gonna pull something out of the past that he didn't get to do at the time or something and and release that now and then everyone's gonna go back and listen to that thompson twins record or you know whatever it is and just discover this this song that that most people had forgotten about or a lot of people didn't know just because they weren't around at the time and uh, i I think sometimes that's worked out like when he did his um uh, ode to a superhero Spider-Man parody of Piano Man yes. I, a long, long after he had gotten Billy Joel mad at him and worked that out apparently <laughs> <laughs> but then I think it worked less well when he was like let me parody MacArthur Park with a song about Jurassic Park like a song that none of my fans and nobody in the 90s will know and do a song about yeah. like that one I think was not as big a hit um, but I, I don't know I really I was shocked at how funny this was and I alluded to it earlier but like I love UHF but UHF is I think an acquired taste and requires a nerdier kind of fan, right? Like I think the, the Monty Python UHF Venn diagram is probably strong. And I don't think Monty it's Python is for everybody. Yeah. It's a circle. Same. But like <laughs> this movie, I feel like is just funny. Like, I think it's just, I, it feels to me like a, in the best way, in the best sense of this, uh, like a Judd Apatow movie. Like, it's just funny. Like I'm going to pack this thing with jokes and it's jokes that are available to everyone and that different people can appreciate in different ways. And that's that aspect of it surprised and delighted me. Yeah, I think that a, a perception of this movie going in may have been like, oh, this will be really funny to Weird Al fans who know about Weird Al. But I think it's actually it's this is really funny if you know anything about music biopics. And then yes. also there's an extra layer to it if you know things about Weird Al. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. I totally agree. I, I feel like there must be a sense amongst many who watch this movie like, oh, of course, it's a parody of biopics. Like once they realize what, because yeah, I could see being fooled yep. for a little while, but like, oh, now I understand what's happening. And of course, what else would he do? Exactly. As soon as I figured it out, it made perfect sense. That was the whole like, oh, well, oh, this, oh, this is what we're doing. And I've watched a lot of those uh, with varying levels of enjoyment, but I've seen like a lot like I've seen almost everything that I thought they were referencing or at least enough of it to know to feel like I was picking up what they were putting down and uh my husband hasn't watched a lot of those so like I'm sort of joking about you know are the cops gonna come drag him off stage as he stands up there in leather pants with a bottle of jack and my husband is like what are you talking about (laughs) and so I'm like yeah you don't you don't sit through all of those like I do so yeah you probably that that probably doesn't make sense to you at all and so like when we were done he did say well, that was weird. <laughs> well, exactly. So that that's, you know that was kind of his, his assessment. Yeah, but he's also not the the in depth fan. Uh, but he did enjoy it. You know, over I did ask him later so I could find out. You know, so that I had a an an audience sample size of two. Um, I, <laughs> he said he did enjoy it, and he said, but now it just makes me curious. Like I really want to know what was Weird Al's actual life. And I'm like, well, it was boring. Here's the 10 second version, and he's like. Yeah, you're right. That wouldn't be a very good movie. <laughs> I, lo- I love the moment, especially like I, that final sequence to me, even when we're just at the award show sequence alone, has so many different kinds of jokes happening between the performance of Amish Paradise and then Coolio in the audience and um, the Hulk Hogan character. But also there's the moment where <laughs> Rain Wilson, I think in his best moment of the movie, as Dr. Demento was like, you were right when you said I wanted to be your father and I want to adopt you. And I was, I was like, yeah, I actually just kind of reconciled with my dad. 
so I'm good. <laughs> oh, oh, that's great. Oh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I just love that the movie would, is open to every kind of joke and humor and just keeps punching you. Like that's, that is my favorite kind of comedy. If I'm going to go in for a comedy and you're just going to, you're going to take all approaches to humor and just go with it, man, I don't know. Even just like the one handed dad, like all of it. I don't know. It just, I, I really appreciated that it, the, there was nothing off limits in terms of not, not topic, but variety of comedy, format of comedy. It just killed me. Yeah, anyone can sit down, I think, and then find something to laugh at about this movie. To your point, Kelly, it's it's like documentary now, where if you haven't seen the documentary that they're riffing on, it's still a funny thing to watch because, you know, Bill Hader and uh, Fred Armisen are incredible. Yes. But if you haven't seen Val Kilmer's The Doors, you're still going to be enjoying that one scene of him getting, you know, dragged off stage yeah. by the police. And yeah. you get that extra bit of context if you have seen that movie like you have, whereas uh, Mr. Kelly hasn't. It actually reminds me of um, Al's song that you referenced earlier, Albuquerque, which uh-huh. I enjoyed for years before learning that it was a parody uh, or a style parody of a song called uh, Dick's Automotive by the Rugburns. And honestly, when you listen to Dick's Automotive by the Rugburns, it's equally insane to Albuquerque. And you almost really feel like <laughs> Albuquerque is a straight parody. Like Al would have done better to say, no, this is an explicit parody of that song. But uh appreciating Albuquerque on its own merits, I think is lovely. And then realizing there's a separate layer that you knew nothing of is even better. So I, I appreciate when there's those things to unpack and you can appreciate things even more over time. Yeah. Like the, um, uh, I'd never heard MacArthur park when Jurassic park came out. A terrible and, song, a truly terrible song. Yeah. Um, me. I, I had been happy, uh, not to, uh, it turns out because in, in retrospect, uh, I, I could have gone without and it would have been fine. Uh, but I was hosting, like I said, I, w- I hosted a comedy novelty show with with uh, a friend of mine in college. And um, he he was a little older than me and had heard it and knew it. And so and so when I said, hey, uh, we got the new we got the new Weird Al CD uh, and he was like, oh, that's awesome. Like, I was wondering if it had showed up. Let's play it. Uh I was like, yeah, here's the like, here's the the promo single that they sent us, and it's um, and it's Jurassic Park. It's based on MacArthur Park. Or something. He went, really? I said, yeah. So we played it, and as we're playing it, like we're actively listening to it over the monitors, and he just starts laughing, and I'm like, you know, I like I thought it was funny, and he's like, no, that like this is really a good, a good version of that. Like this is you know, uh, like overall, and I was like, I, I just kind of thought it was you know, funny song about dinosaurs, and that was it. And so you know, the the extra layer of that, like going back later and and finding it out, like yeah, that one I was kind of disappointed about, but I did, but I did appreciate, and it was really fun to get to hear it with somebody who was familiar, and and get to get their enjoyment out of it, which now I obviously have done for other people, like you know. I remember the original versions of of all these songs and stuff and put them out. And I used to make CDs of like, like here's like track for track of all of, of Al's parodies. Like here's, the, here's a mixtape of like the original, you know, uh, the original versions of all those songs. Cause those are banging playlists. Like he's not picking duds, you know, that, that don't age well. Like the stuff that he parodies is stuff that most people have heard, you know, like once you're an adult and you've sampled some, some, older music or whatever like you're getting the stuff that that he parodied in the first place you're getting the original versions of all those because he's got excellent taste there too and this wasn't your point but it did remind me of a thing which is there was something that i appreciated of this movie as kind of a meta aspect of it which is that al was also willing 
to not, I, I think Al would think of himself throughout his career as a perfectionist. And like, he initially had somebody direct his music videos, then he started directing his own music videos. He started, you know, producing his own albums himself uh, instead of using Rick Derringer over time. But like here, he was willing to let go of some things, right? Like he didn't direct mm-hmm. the movie. He's like, he's like, and he talked about interviews. Like I could have, like I, I've, I've done this sort of thing now, but like, I didn't want all that intensity and all that decision making to do. Like, I suppose there was a world where he could have tried to play himself, but like taking not a back seat because this movie is infused with Al through every inch of it, unsurprisingly, but like not feeling like he had to own all of it. I really loved. And then Al also did break my heart a little bit afterwards because he gave an interview to Rolling Stone within a few days of the release where he said, yeah, I actually might not release any more parodies. Like I might, I might actually be done doing parodies because, you know, I used to always listen to the radio all the time trying to figure out what's the right hit that I should take. And I haven't missed doing that over the past several years. So I might, I'm not saying I won't do it if, if the idea strikes, but the idea might not strike and that's okay. And I was like, man, wow. that's, that's hard to hear. Al. <laughs> I love yeah. Al's originals. And so that's, it's okay. But still, man, it's uh yeah, I don't like change. Well, and, and everybody doesn't listen to the same song anymore. Yeah. Exactly. Like I was, I was kind of thinking about that. Like I remember like, I remember when White and Nerdy was released and like it was everywhere and it didn't matter if you liked Weird Al. It didn't matter if you liked Millionaire. It didn't matter if you liked rap. It didn't matter. You heard that song or you saw that video and you went, is that Donny Osmond? And like you didn't have to be a fan of either of uh, like either the original or the, the original artist or Weird Al to be acquainted with the fact that Weird Al put this song out. Maybe you don't know all the words, you know, not everyone is me, but that doesn't mean that like you weren't aware. And there was always some awareness, it seems like, you know, of of Al songs because everybody was listening to Beat It. Everybody was listening to Bad. Everybody was listening to, uh, you know, Madonna and and and, you know, everybody at least was aware of R. Kelly when he put out Trapped in, when Weird Al put out Trapped in the drive through and and all of these it was a thing that everybody was listening to at once because, you know, it was back in the days of, you know, headline making news that there was a fourth channel that people could be watching, right? Like we had three, now there's four, the world has changed, you know? And like from that to where we are now, like everybody's top music chart is going to be different. And so like, I can totally see where it's probably a lot harder because even if he is listening to the radio all the time, looking for that next song, like not everyone else is. And so he could put that out and I could have no idea, you know, what song is it that you're parroting? You know, I'll throw in the filthy youth iPod kids perspective on that. When you are, (laughs) you know, a little kid in 2008 and you got 99 cents to spend at the iTunes store and you are deciding between Chamillionaire and Weird Al, there is a not insignificant group of people that would pick the one that also made them laugh in addition to being a good song. Uh-huh. That's 100% true. Yeah. So uh, let me ask you this as we, as we wind ourselves down. What's any, any final thoughts, comments on any aspect of the movie or anything about it? Like, I think we, it's clear to me that all four of us liked it, but any other thoughts or ideas that you wanted to share from the weird experience? I would I would just like to do a couple shout outs of things that we didn't touch on. Uh one being uh Quinta Brunson as Oprah. Inspired so casting. <laughs> Love her so much. She did amazing. Um and so that was such a delight to see her in this. And I also I, I my I guess my for my concluding thought on this movie, I really enjoyed it. I do think that as I said earlier, it is enjoyable as a piece of like parody art, even outside of the context of knowing things about Weird Al, which is delightful and in a 
true achievement for something like this. And I will say that my favorite bit in the movie was one day I'm going to be not, well, not the best, but arguably the most famous accordion player in a niche genre of music. Um, and how they they ended the movie with that bit as well. I, I think, first of all, it just made me laugh. And I thought it was great. And I also love that even in this movie, that is so ridiculous and over the top. And uh, Weird Al is a six quintuple platinum recording artist, whatever, um, that he still took this moment to be realistic and modest and about his uh, skills in real life being like, well, yeah, no, I'm probably, I'm not the world's best accordion player by any means, but you know, I am like really famous for doing it. And so I do have to acknowledge that (laughs) and all this stuff. And I just thought that in the midst of such ridiculousness having what it's genuinely a very realistic human description of that, um, just really sold it for me. I think this movie does something that's really hard and that is be specific and also unspecific at the same time, much to Quinn's point. Um, if you like Weird Al, you will you you will find a lot of things in this movie to enjoy. If you like rock and roll biopics, you will find things in this movie to enjoy. If you just like something that is parodying another thing, if you're if your jam is parody, then this movie will be for you. But you don't have to know all the rock and roll movies you don't have to know weird al you just have to sit down and go like i've got a couple hours and uh i like hawaiian shirts and even if that's your hook like you're still gonna have an enjoyable time and it's really hard to make a movie where because we've seen movies where there's all the like there's a lot of fan service there's a lot of subtle hints to or subtle nods to other things and it's and and when you hang too big a lantern on it then people who are watching know that there's something there that they're not getting but that's not what this movie does at all. So like, if you don't know that my Bologna was his first song, it doesn't matter because they tell you now. And when you watch it come together, it's very entertaining to watch. And those pieces all work, whether you are close personal friends with Bermuda Schwartz, like Lex or a fan in law like me, um, like it doesn't matter because there's still a lot to enjoy in this movie. And it's really hard to do that and have it be something that I can have a good time with. And also my husband who is not, necessarily the super fan that i am and having that be like having it come out at that level where it's good for everybody regardless of of your level of knowledge of any of it going in is a hard thing to do and i feel like they really did a good job of that well said and brian Every time something like this really in-depth comes out that I really fall in love with, I imagine what it must be like to be Lex or Kelly when the Weird Al biopic comes out or like a cheerleader or cheer coach when the cheer Netflix series comes out or something like that where the cultural zeitgeist in the moment is your niche special thing. And it feels like this movie really lived up to the fans coming and saying, this is incredible. I love it. They put in all these really fun uh, little deep dive references for me to find like the UHF uh, advertisement in the beginning of the movie or the fact that they're all living in a UHF style uh, apartment at the very beginning when they're, uh, you know, scraping together money and finding their job. I think that's amazing. I also love that every four or five years, something happens culturally. That means every weird Al fan comes out of the word work is just living their best life. <laughs> like mandatory fun comes out. All the music videos came out. Um, when he came on comedy, bang, bang, lots of things happen with weird Al. Will he'll just show up and appear and you realize a way more people love weird Al than you think. Mm-hmm. B people are way more into weird Al than you think. And C 
everyone's a Weird Al fan. I think that's amazing. Final thing I want to throw in there is that the last time Lin-Manuel Miranda and Weird Al were in something together was the My Brother, My Brother and Me TV show in 2016, my favorite TV show ever made. So that was a nice, fun thing to see. Justin McElroy had a conversation with Weird Al on camera, and that was a ton of fun to see. I love that. I loved I loved the cameos of people who were not like comedy nerd people like Josh Groban shows up to try and bring him a filet at the restaurant, you know, um, Lin-Manuel Miranda right from the get go, you know, and watching all those happen was just super great because, you know, oh my God, those were people Josh they Groban. just that they just asked. Right. Like they were like, so I'm doing this weird movie. You want to you want a bit, you know, like, you know, like, you know, the comedy nerds were all going to be into it. But like you know, like that sort of like that tracks, but then you're watching the Weird Al movie and all of a sudden you go, is that Josh Groban? Like is like is super entertaining to me, which comes back to your point, I will Brian, freely of- admit I, I did research afterwards because I, I I really feel like I I'm a student of Weird Al. Like I feel like I've, I've st- done those studies. I've put in the work <laughs> and I had no idea that there was a Weird Al Josh Groban connection. So that was surprised me. I couldn't figure it out. I still haven't figured it out. <laughs> I think he's just a fan and has said so. My uh, my only, I guess, final thoughts were, one, I would like to work with Daniel Radcliffe's personal trainer if they're available. <laughs> Two, I don't know. I, I think that, um, the Quinn, you said it well. Like, I do think that this movie is for all comedy fans, whether they're devoted Al students or not. Um, but I'm just, I'm very pleased to live in a world where this gets made because Al is a... And let's face it, there's a lot of crappy things in this world, but Al is, you know, he is not a hugely popular artist by today's popular artist standards, right? He's not Taylor Swift. Who could get a movie greenlit in an instant were she so inclined? Al's 63 years old. Um, I think for the first time in his entire life, he's finally like showing that he's older. For many years, he's lived a pretty healthy lifestyle style life. For many years, he's he's looked much younger than he is. I think now he looks about his age, which is totally allowed. And the fact that he can still get this movie made, even if it's with an unusual path through a, a different streamer, uh, and that Daniel Radcliffe doesn't just want to, but is eager to star in it with Evan Rachel. Like, I don't know. I love that this movie exists. I love how funny it is. And I love, despite not being true to Al's life at all, how true to Al it is. And that's, I think, what yes. it the most. It just feels like him from, from start to finish, which just made me very happy. I think that's what it is. I think that quantifies it, Lex, that... that- that it's very weird Al, even if it's not very his, even if it's not really his life, it's still very him. And that, I think that is the the thing I've been trying to figure out how to say. And that's exactly what it is. I really do want Madonna to put out a statement about the movie and either hate it or love it, but either way, it'll be delightful to me for Madonna I, to come. I want her statement to be the announcement that the, there's a sequel to weird and it, this was weird, the weird Al story. And the next one's going to be weird, the Madonna story. Like I said it earlier, and the more I think about it, the more I want that to happen. Well, my thanks to all of you for joining this guest hosted episode of The Incomparable. I'm sure Jason Snell will be back next week because the fans will demand it. But thanks very specifically <laughs> to Kelly, to Brian, and to Quinn, uh, and to all of you, dear listeners. And, uh, you know, like like the movie, I even appreciated that the movie at the end gave Daniel Azal the opportunity to kind of speak to its heart and, and tell folks to embrace their weirdness. Because uh, I think... I think uh, the early 2020s, well, the early 2000s were about nerds being cool again. I think I think weird is also cool now. So I just want to put that out there. 